Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within podcast. This episode of the show is being sponsored by the Amazonian Plant Healing Center, the Temple of the Way of Light. Uh, this is actually where I met the the guest of today, who's Richard Condon, and um, it's a, a center that primarily works with the plant medicine ayahuasca, and they offer 12-day retreats, working with four different curanderos or maestros, healers, uh, two to three facilitators, which are kind of like bridges between the, the healers and the guests coming in. Um, there's a pre-ceremony yoga class, so there's a yoga teacher, there's um, a vegetalista, which is kind of like an herbalist. There's people who work with bones and massage and just really an amazing support staff. And it's a place I've worked for a long time, so I'm, I'm really happy to endorse them. And they just, they do really amazing work. Um, so if someone is looking to, to work with ayahuasca, to work with plant medicine, it's a really amazing experience to go down there and, and really go deeply into this process with uh, six ceremonies. Uh, it's a very intensive process, but the results can be uh, life transforming and just really profound, uh, a deep healing process, a deep learning process, and a, a really an opening us to, to a new way of being. So if anyone is interested in working with ayahuasca, uh, templeofthewayoflight.org. They've been closed since the pandemic started in, in March of 2020, but hopefully they'll be opening in June of 2021. So if you'd like more information on that, check out their website, templeofthewayoflight.org, and there'll also be a link in the show notes. Um, also, I'll be running uh, dietas or diets, which is an opportunity to go much deeper into uh, working with certain individual plants, uh, usually trees. And uh, I'm working in the tradition I was trained in, working with tobacco and working with my friend and colleague, Marav Artsy, who I interviewed a few episodes ago. So if you're interested in that, you can check out the episode with her. I also did an episode on tobacco and an episode on dieting. So if you're interested in that, you can uh, look at those episodes and you can check out my website at Nico tianarustica.org or also Marav's site at tobaccodiets.com. Both of those links will be in the show notes. Uh, we're doing one next month, well, I guess uh, March, March 3rd to the 19th, and then another one uh, in May. Uh, I believe it's May 1st to the 17th. So there's more information on those sites. Um, my guest today, uh, like I mentioned, is Richard. Richard's a guy I met working at the Temple of the Way of Light. He specializes in, in the, the word he uses is ontology, which is the nature of being. And he's a really fascinating guy. I've personally learned a lot from, from Richard. I've seen him help a lot of people. And I think really he's the, the way he's working really goes hand in hand with a lot of this plant work. And it's, it's getting at the essence, but from a different angle, uh, this ontological angle and, and really through, through nature and through inquiry and through finding something, as he calls it, a calling that we can align our lives to. And it's really fascinating. Uh, for some people, the work may seem really simple, but uh, in that simplicity, I think, are probably the most profound teachings. For some people, it may seem a little complex. If it does, maybe try re-watching it, going back. Sometimes these things take a little while to kind of to hit or to settle in. Um, but what he's pointing to is, is something very profound. And like I said, I've, I've learned a lot from him. I, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I consider him a friend, a teacher, and uh, just a really amazing guy. So um, I think you guys will really like this episode. Um, 
we we went about two hours, so it's a good amount of time. And if you're interested in learning more about him, there's also a link to his website in the show notes. And uh, he offers some opportunities to go deeper into his work too. But I, I I highly recommend his work. And a lot of his work actually has to deal with integration, which is a question I'm asked a lot with this plant work: is how does one integrate it? So if you're interested at all in integration, this is a really excellent podcast to listen to. Um, so I think that's it. Uh, if you can support this show, that's a really big help. As I mentioned a few times, most of the people who've been doing this work have been without work since uh, March of 2020, because in Peru, the lockdowns have been very, very strict and uh, travel has been closed. We're actually entering a new quarantine uh, starting February 1st. So nobody, I think, really has a good idea of, of uh, when we'll be able to work again. So uh, one of the, the really nice ways of doing that is through Patreon and Patreon's a subscription service and there's different tiers you can subscribe to and it's a really beautiful idea of, of being able to donate and helping out and then getting things in back uh, or getting things back and, and receiving in that way. So uh, depending on what tier you subscribe to, there's things like early access to shows, Q&As. Uh, bonus material, some extended interviews. So it's a it's a really nice way to help to support this show. Uh, there's also the option of direct donating through PayPal. And if you're not able to do that, simply going on the Universe Within podcast homepage and the YouTube channel, subscribing to the show, liking the video and turning on the notification bell may seem like a really small thing, but it really helps uh, with the algorithms and getting the show out to a bigger audience. And then with the audio version, uh, Apple Podcasts is still the biggest one. So going on Apple Podcasts, subscribing to the show, and leaving a starred rating and a review. Again, it only takes a few seconds, may seem like a really small thing, uh, but it really helps. So I think that's it. Uh, I hope you all enjoy this conversation with Richard. I really did. And I think you all will get a lot out of it. Yeah, looks like we're rolling. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good to see you, man. We, we were talking a little bit about COVID uh, before, but uh, I don't know if the audience is really that interested in that. But um, probably, you know, most of the people who are watching this, they're, they're interested in plants, in, in, in this kind of work, this kind of medicine. So I would imagine most of the people haven't heard of you, although some maybe have via the temple. As you begin to work more with the temple, there, there's a lot of former temple guests who listen to this. So Maybe just to start, if you could give the, the, the audience a little bit of background about who you are and, and the kind of work you do. Okay. Uh, let's see. Well, I think, the, I think we should start around the, the second half of my life right, when I hit 40. So I had a kind of colorful life before that from a rock and roll drummer to a... Uh, macrobiotic restaurant owner to, you know, nightclub owner, et cetera. But around 40, I started to get serious about what I wanted the rest of my life to be. And I, I went to work for Warner Earhart and Landmark Education and led transformational programs around the world for the next 20 years uh, until around 2010, 2011, which I left. And 
<clears throat> around that time, I started to get into plant medicine and did some ayahuasca work in around Los Angeles and Mount Shasta. And in that community, there was a rift uh, in that community and I stopped doing it. And then my colleague and I led a workshop in Venice, I think around four years ago, in which it was an interesting uh, con congruence or confluence, I don't know what the word, of half of the people in that workshop, there was about 40 of them, half of them were kind of ayasqueros, you know, people have done ayahuasca work, and half of them were, uh, were uh, religious Jews. Uh, and they didn't, they didn't know each other. It just ha kind of happened that way, you know, that there was the, the religious Jews and the, and the, and the uh, plant medicine people, and it turned out to be amazing. But in that workshop, Gabor Mate was there and uh, Matthew was there, Matthew, the, the uh, founder of the temple. And Matthew and I connected uh, and uh, he then invited me to the temple and I was a little bit resistant because I said, you know, I'm kind of done with ayahuasca. I don't want to do it anymore. And, and uh, but he said, you know, you've never done it with the at the source of it and with the Shipibo lineage. And, and uh, you know, I want you to just see the temple. And Gabor's daughter-in-law was working with the with the uh, with the participants during the day. And he said, just come and see. And uh, so I went and there was a. Uh, there was a group out of New York. It was a private ceremony. It was a group out of New York. Um, I'm not going to say their name, but it was a group out of New York. And, and, and uh, so I took I, my first night, I drank ayahuasca in that setting. And I think, Jason, you were there, weren't you? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. In that, in that workshop, I mean, ceremony. Uh, you know, so first of all, I could see going into the center that the the temple that it was, you know, it was really had a lot of integrity and was conscious and was simple. Um, uh, and I could feel the kind of commitment and integrity Matthew had to to the container <clears throat> that the temple was. So that first night I drank and, you know, prior to that, I maybe drank 20 or 30 times, but my mind was blown that first night by who the healers were and the, and the commitment and intention they had to healing. And I could see in hindsight, only in hindsight, that the work that I'd done with ayahuasca prior wasn't really healing. It was more experiential, but it wasn't healing. And I was just really amazed, shocked, touched, inspired by who the healers were and what, what and how they were working. Uh, so in that first evening, it just completely shifted my relationship to ayahuasca and plant medicine that I'd had before. <clears throat> and then Mas Matthew asked me to do a little bit of work in the daytime with the kind of ontological work that I do. And I was a little hesitant. Uh, 
because of my first time and, you know, nobody knew me and I'd never done it before. And, but, but uh, Tanya and I had known each other and worked a little bit together. So she kind of encouraged me to, in tandem with her, do some daytime work with the, the kind of ontological work that I did and found that it was really um, aligned with what the healers were doing. And, and one side, side note that before I did any work in the daytime, I told Matthew, I don't want to do anything that's inconsistent or out of alignment with, with what the healers are doing or what the temple is doing. So I asked, the, I asked Matthew to ask the healers, what are the four intentions they have when they're working with somebody? And simply said, the first intention was to see and connect, to kind of get a diagnosis of the energetic field of the person. And then the second intention was to clear, clean and clear, to clean and clear trauma. And the third intention was to align, get energetically aligned. And the fourth intention was to create a path into the future. So when the healer said those four intentions, which were 100% aligned with the intentions of the work I do, I felt a lot more comfortable and at ease in doing that work because I knew it was aligned with what they were doing. Um, and so I did a little bit of work and it was really illuminating and fun and, and powerful. Um, and then the third thing is that Matthew then asked me to work with the, with the temple organization, uh, which you were well aware of, because at the time he was struggling a little bit with, you know, he'd been there for 12 years and, you know, it's really difficult work to do to keep a center going and especially in the heart of the Amazon and what it takes to, to have a team that works. And, you know, fundamentally, there were three groups of people. There were the local Peruvian people who took care of the center and the, and the, and the pasajeros. And then there was the, the, the healers themselves, about 20 of them. And then there was you and the, and, the, uh, and the facilitators, about 20. So it was 40 Peruvians and 20 healers and 20 facilitators. And there was, you know, there was some friction with those groups in communication and alignment and so he'd asked me to do some work with the with the with the center itself, uh, and then the last part of it uh, was one of the healers, Jose. The very first training we did kind of saw this opportunity and possibility to do some work with his family and his center. So we did some work. Uh, in their in their community so so now there's my own healing there's the work that i started to do with the with the participants in concert with what you guys do and with what the healers are doing and continuing to do the, the organizational work with with the temple itself and then a little bit of work with the with jose and his family and both of their centers so then, so that was all going great. And then COVID hit last March <laughs> and everything shut down. So yeah. that kind of, that kind of brings the, the background. And, you know, the work that I'd done with Landmark was fundamentally, you could say, transformative and ontological 
um, and then bringing those fundamental distinctions and, and other modalities to, to work with companies and organizations. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I had forgotten that was, I guess that was the first time we met, was that, that New York uh, workshop. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that was the workshop on, on the last night. I had a, a, a very difficult and, and profound I remember. <laughs> kind of initiatory I remember, experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I remember, yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned this word yeah. ontology. I, I would imagine that most yeah. people aren't really familiar with that. How, how would you describe that? Uh, well, the, the, the most powerful definition for me of ontology, like uh, ontology, sorry, ology is the study of something. And onto is the nature of being. So ontology is the study of the nature of being. Um, So, you know, you could look at it from different places, like there's being, there's doing, there's having in life. And a lot of people pay attention to the doing part and the having part, but they're not very aware of the being part. And, you know, obviously, Jason, in the last, 20 years, there's been an enormous uh, elevation of people doing inner work in many, many different modalities. So it's a lot more widespread now than it was when we first started doing this work at Landmark a long time ago. Um, But it's fundamentally, it's fundamentally dealing with the being aspect. And, and for me, most importantly, how being translates into, into action and behavior. So mm-hmm. fundamentally, it's the, it's the study of the nature of being. And, and why do you think that's important? I mean, because that's a, I mean, I don't know if you call that the pillar of your work, but it, it's certainly one of the, the, the fundamental aspects yes. of your work. Why, yeah. why do you think that's so important? Just because it's something that's lacking or... That's a really good question. Uh, well, let's look at it, Jason. From from let's look at it from, and I might ask you some questions just to have a dialogue. Um, but let's look at it from the work you do as a facilitator, or even the work that the healers do with with you could say fundamentally what they're doing is dealing with trauma. Yes. Like, like in their, in their, their second intention, which is to clean and clear, they're cleaning and clearing layers and layers and layers of trauma. So another way of, I'm going to make a few cuts here, but one way of talking about ontology or being that it's a linguistic phenomenon that that human being the being of human being lives in language it's what distinguishes us from every other biological phenomenon is that we've got we've got language and we've also got language that references ourselves so you know people would say that dogs have language and dolphins have language and some kind of, let's say they have some kind of communication that coordinates action, but not the kind of language that references themselves. 
and that's that's that you you could say that being the one of the phenomenons of being is that it references itself so if you look at ontology the nature of being and then you bring in that the nature of being is linguistic and then you look at trauma from a phenomenology aspect something happens to somebody but the big impact is not what happens to somebody it's the language that they bring to that thing that happens so somebody might have a you know abuse at a young age and it may not be the it may not be and this is dicey and i understand but it may not be the thing that happens it's the it's the language in and around that event that has the impact of that person so one of the things we started to see in that work is that in dealing with trauma there's both the emotionality aspect of it the 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 reactive aspect of it but it was it's also the bringing into that the 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 language that gets created in that moment of trauma um and Gabor talks about that a lot the same kind of work that he does um same kind of distinctions of there's something happens and then there's the interpretations we make up about ourselves about others or life that has the ongoing impact so one of the things we saw that was that was very powerful in dealing with uh at least loosening up the 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 massive trauma was bringing in the the linguistic aspect of trauma so that yeah, was that we found really powerful and in alignment with the very work that you guys and the and the healers were doing at the temple mhm mm Yeah and that's a really interesting distinction because uh there's a lady I I like a lot you're you're familiar with her Byron Katie and yeah she often uses this she she uses the word reality a lot yeah and 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 in a very neutral way that that essentially yeah. you know reality is it's whatever yeah. is happening and it's it's yeah. neither good nor bad yeah but when we when we label that kind of as you were saying I know you often use the word view some yeah. people may use the word belief but Yeah. when we create a view around it or a belief then we're we're making it into necessarily something more than what it is and that's maybe not inherently bad but it is creating a kind of a new world that then yes. we're living in it's <laughs> yes. it's separate from the thing itself and yes. and so is that where you is that kind of where you see a, a lot of the maybe the issues that people are dealing with it's coming from the view or the belief that they've now created around that that event absolutely and uh so let me give you a personal example and it's and it's and it's a really good example because i have a twin brother and when when we were three we were sitting on our bunk bed the lower part of our bunk bed and my mother comes into the room i mean she said i want to talk to you so go in the room and sit on the bunk bed and so she comes into the room and she says uh fundamentally she says your father's not coming back 
He's never coming back. Now, in reality, if you had a, a camera, video camera, and you videoed that, you would see, here's my twin brother and I on the bed. My mother comes into the room. She says, your father's never coming back. That's reality. Now, in my world, this is where, the, where language comes into it. I then, I didn't say it this way, but I said it this way. I said, he doesn't love me. Now, that's reality too. Different kind of reality. One's, one's a reality like in physics, and the other's a reality in language. They're both real. And this is one of the things we've, we see that those two realities then get conflated into one. And the one that's got the most impact isn't the what happened. It's the view that one makes up. So the impact for me and for the rest, the next 18 years of my life wasn't your father's never coming back. It was he doesn't love me. They're both real. They're both real, but two different kinds of reality. When they get combined and unawaredly combined, then we're living in a reality that you could say didn't really happen. They both, they both happen, but they happened in different phenomenon, one in physics, one in language. So when those two things can get separated, something then in the separation of it, something new and, and unforeseen and possible emerges. So that's, the, you know, and, and if you look at how most people are living their life, you could say, and you've heard me say this, Jason, before, that, that our actions are always 100% correlated to whatever view we have at the time. So the views we have are really, really important in relationship to the kinds of actions we take and because of the kind of actions we take, the kind of results that we take. So, you know, then another way of looking at it, there's some views that are, that are kind of insignificant, but, but kind of deeply held views and deeply held unexamined views, a lot of times people would call those beliefs, just a, a really tightly held view that I'm unwilling to give up is what normally can be described as a belief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting because as you were saying, it, it, it's always the case. Every action we take is always, always coming from our view. But that's really yes. fascinating because then it brings up this interesting thing. It's kind of like in 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 law, the the plea of of insanity, <laughs> because we're saying this yes. person they could only operate from that insanity. It's they didn't have a choice. Yes. But from yes. what you're speaking of, really, we're all insane in that way, or we're all under the the spell of our beliefs. So in a sense, we we don't have a choice. Any action we take is simply coming from that 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 view, that belief we have. Yes, yes, exactly. 
And it's also really interesting because that's that's a really fundamental thing. I think in in the essence of all of these spiritual or esoteric traditions. I mean, in 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 the Vedas or Hinduism, they talk about Maya, which is yeah. this idea of the world is illusion. But it's yeah. it's I, my interpretation of that is exactly like you said. It's that there there's a real reality, but we don't see the reality. We see it yes. through the veil. And yeah. you, you see that a lot, like in, in Buddhism, they talk about vipassana, which is the art of seeing things how they actually are. Or yeah. even in Christianity, the apocalypse, yeah. I think that's yeah. very fascinating. The apocalypse actually yeah. means to lift the veil, to, to see really? things how they actually are. So the apocalypse wow. isn't something to be scared of. It, uh -huh. It's actually the beauty. It's what we're all moving uh -huh. towards is apocalypse, uh -huh. to, see, uh -huh. to see the world as it actually is. Uh -huh. Fantastic. And I think that was one of the things, Jason, for me, when I did ayahuasca there at the temple, in that environment, um, in, in talking about what we just talked about, is, you know, there are moments in those ceremonies where at least for me, I was present to the the not just the world but the but the but the universe, the cosmology as it is, you know, in those in those can't remember the word of it the uh, the when you're in the in the experience itself, but the mariacion, yeah, the mariacion. Uh, and there's moments where you're just seeing and experiencing things, at least at that level, without a view. I'm sure there is some, some somewhere you wouldn't be seeing something, but there, but you start to see. At least I did see things. Wow, is this the way the world really is, and we're just not seeing it? Uh, that's that was as real as anything else now you know when the ceremony ends and you you know you're coming back into the environment and you know but that for me is the is the real part of integration how do you integrate something that's so real powerful and abstract into one's everyday life but i, I was just you know sharing about there's certain times in those ceremonies where at least my experience is the veil the veil is lifted and you're actually experiencing energetically the way life is that we're that we're mostly aren't present to that's still the same you know same reality here you're in the same uh maloka next morning doesn't seem quite the same so that was another thing about about the I think there's something about the medicine that that lifts the view. Don't you yeah. think? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why many many shamans would say that that space that you're in, that that space of of dizziness, of mariacion is is as you said, it's it's as real as reality. It's it, it's another reality, but yeah. but most would say it's even yeah. more real because actually all of the veils are lifted. We we have access to things that we may not yeah. have in this reality. Yeah, yeah. Um, I it, it, absolutely. I experienced it more more real in yeah. those in those moments. It was very real. Yeah. 
Um, integration is huge. And that's something people are, are often asking about. So that's something I, I'd like to get to. But maybe before we get to that, so, you know, this idea of, of, of reality and, and that we were, we're seeing things through our view, we're, we're creating a, an alternate reality. If, if that's where, you know, from your experience and also mine, that, that, that you see a lot of, a lot of problems arise uh, for, 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 for people you're working with, or, I mean, I think in Buddhist terms, they would say that's suffering, you know, that's, that's kind of the root of suffering. Yeah. What, what are tools that you've seen that are a way out of that? <laughs> How do you work with someone to try and bring them back to, 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 to disassociating or, or for separating themselves from that view they've created? Well, you certainly ask really good questions. So uh, I'm going to ask you to, I'm going to ask you to ask it again. Because uh, there's, there's different ways I could answer it. So just ask the same question again. Yeah. So what are, what are tools to help someone to maybe to first to recognize that, that the way they're seeing something is of you and then how, how can one begin to, to use that, that, that recognition of that to begin to free oneself from that so that, you know, hopefully some sort of, of peace or joy arises because very often that view is creating some sort of, some form of suffering for that person. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, I think the first thing is, is exactly how you said it is I would first have to see or at least accept that I'm seeing things through a view. I'd have to first say, okay, let me accept that, accept that, that I'm seeing things through a view. You know, there's, there's, I'm sure you know, there's a famous movie called Rashomon. Uh, I think it was a Japanese movie. And it might have been from a play. I can't remember, but I remember the movie Rashomon where there was a, an accident and there were seven people who witnessed this, the accident and all seven people had a different view about it. And I think one of the underlying questions of that movie is what's true. And maybe even what's real. So first what's true, but second what's real because the reality is an accident happened. Same thing like the reality is my mother said what she said. Then there's a view. So I think the first step is seeing I have a view. That's the first thing. If I don't, if I can't see that I'm seeing things through a view, there probably will be no elevation. There'll be no illumination, no awakening. So the first thing is to, to try on, okay, I'm going to look from this view that I'm everything that I'm seeing is a view, everything. 
then the second part would be what is the nature of that view? What's the nature of it? And again, for me, Jason, and I think there's different ways of accessing it, but for me, the nature of the view is linguistic. Now, why for me is that important? Because if it's not linguistic, I don't have any access to it. And you could say, and I'm making this simple, you could say there's three fundamental views that we look at life from. We have a view about ourselves, we have a view about others, and we have a view about life or the situation. So if I've got a view of myself, you know, like another way I could say that thing that happened with my, with my mom was I'm not loved was similar to that, but it was more like, I didn't have the word for it, but it was more like, I'm not worthy. I'm not valued. I don't know quite what the word was at three, but it was kind of like, I'm no good. I'm no good. Now, if I don't see that as linguistic, then I'm left with, I'm really no good. Now, are there ways that I can compensate for that yes I could be really successful I could I could you know my life could be about proving that I'm good and you know a lot of executives that I talk to they will say a lot of the a lot of the drive for them being successful is is this feeling of not good not good so if I don't see that view as linguistic, then, then probably my response to it is gonna be compensatory. I'm gonna to try to either prove one of two things. I'm gonna prove that I am good, or I'm gonna prove that I'm not. But those are what my actions are gonna be. So if I can see, wow, I said, I'm no good. I said that. Now, I could see that when I was 19, when I first did, you know, when I first kind of engaged in this work, when I went back at that moment and said, I said that, that was a revelation to me. Wow, I said that. Now, what was my evidence? My mother said, your father's never coming back. Now, for a three-year-old, everything that happens in life is all around you. You know, it's all my fault. So if my parents get divorced, it's not because they had a problem. It's something to do with me. I'm the, I'm the locus of everything that happens. So when I saw that, Jason, that I'm the one that said I'm no good, it was a revelation to me because a lot of my life has been, has lived inside of that, that declaration. So if I don't see the view as linguistic, I don't have much access to its, I used to call it transformation, but I like the word now more transmutation 
or even al an, an alchemic, an alchemy phenomenon. Uh, and it's not, it's not, it's not, oh, that was, that was not true that you're no good. So not, why don't you create a view called you are good? That's still comp compensatory. But if that view disappears, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to let that view go. Then there's, then there's a space for something. There's a space for something that wasn't there before. A space for something possible to emerge from that. So that's the second thing. Then the third thing is, and this is this will start to get connected back to to integration. In that space, what could I create for myself other than life? What could I create? Not what could I react to or respond to or compensate from, but what in that space, if I didn't have that fundamental view, what could I then create? And that's also linguistic. That's also that the that creation is a linguistic phenomenon. You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was creation. So that, that, those are the kind of three, in answer to your question, what are the tools? First, I'd have to see, then I'd have to first see I got a view. Second, the view's linguistic. And then to start to examine the very nature and source of the view that I have. <clears throat> and, and this is more, more subtle work, but is that view grounded? Is it, is it grounded? Is it, is it grounded in reality? So if I look at my view of I'm no good, don't have any grounding for it. So there, that's a whole other aspect of, of, of more advanced work. But, but so those are the three things, Jason, I think the tools. And then, and then if I've got that space, And I'm going to create something. And remember, there, for me, there's three directions. There's me, others, and life. So what am I going to create for myself, others, and life? That for me, and we'll get into this, that for me is the beginning of what we call alignment or integration. So when you were describing that, um, because you were saying the, the, the work that, that you do was very aligned with what the healers were doing, and there was four yes. levels to that. Yes. And, yep. and the first was, was seeing or diagnosing and, and yes. opening. Yes. So is that kind of, is that what you just described, that it's first really level? good. Yeah, it's really good. Yes. So if you look at those, if you look at the four things, this is really good, Jason, because I, have, I, I haven't seen it this way until you just said that. But if you look at the four things, and I'm doing this again very simply, but if you look at the four intentions of the healers, at least in my understanding, it's they're looking at it energetically. So they're looking, when they look at you that first evening, they're looking at your energetic 
self. Yes. They're looking at your body energetically and they're seeing where energy is stopped and stuck and where trauma is. And the second intention is they're clearing and cleaning dark energy. They're cleaning mass energy away where trauma is. The more and more that's cleared away, then there's a, it starts to be energetic alignment where there's not a, dis, a dissonance. And when, there's an, there, then the, when the energies are aligned, something then opens up. So if you look at those four things from the shamanic side being energetic, and these four things, the same exact things onto, from linguistic, ont, ontological, you know, where the trauma, where is the trauma linguistically? Where, you know, what, what is the source of the trauma that I've said in language and, and getting that cleared away? And as those views disappear or dissipate, there's, a, there's an opening, there's an alignment, and there's a, a, a path, a new path opens up. So those four things are really perfectly aligned with in working both energetically and ontologically. And, and then both of them, if they're done well, both of them, uh, uh, there's a synergy in both of them that both of them get elevated. Both the energetic work in the, in the ceremony gets elevated by the ontological work and the ontological work gets elevated by the, by the shamanic work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> when, when you were yeah, speaking about that, when, when, when you were saying from your, like using your own example, that, that when your mother came and, and, and told you this thing, yes. you said it wasn't until you were 19 that you kind of had this revelation that, oh, that's my view. I, I've I, added did the, that. I did the, Yes, because I, that was when it was a little later than 19, but, but that's when I did the first S training that Warner uh-huh. Earhart designed. This was back in the 70s that then morphed into later on the landmark form. But, but there were some fundamental, fundamental distinctions and underpinnings of that S training where, where that distinction of there's something happened and your interpretation was first where I first started to see that in a very real way, not an intellectual way, but a real way that, wow, that has impacted my life in a, in a big way. And it's for me, Jason, it's lifelong, you know, like it's the last few days I've, I've been, Oh man, is that, I still have that view of myself. I still have to work on that. Yep. Sorry, buddy. You know, or I go to a dieta and, and, you know, I thought I'd gotten through all of this. Nope. Sorry. So for me, it's, it's, it is a lifelong ongoing, you know, you never get to a place where you've made it. Mm-hmm. When, when you were speaking about that, uh, three things came to mind. One was, <laughs> I mean, one, like you said for you, it was kind of this revelation, but, but you did it through some sort of yeah. work. Uh, so I would imagine for, for many people, it could be like a revelatory experience where they realize, oh, th- this is a view that I've been having about that. Yes. It, it seems yes. like maybe another way, because you also mentioned this idea of, of really 
that, that everything is of you. So would another way yes. to be to actually just sit down and to question every thought? And then the, the third thing that came to mind, I think Byron Katie also says something about this, which is this yeah. idea of how do I discern what's of you? And, and I think something that she says, which is interesting, is anything that's causing you suffering, anything that's making you feel yes. not good, then that needs to be questioned. Yes. Well, obviously she has, and my brother's done more work with her, uh, and you have, I know, uh, but I would, I would align with what she's saying uh, with the views, initially, the views that I want to examine are the views that in which I have a disempowering experience or like you said, they're suffering. Um, so let's bring it back to the ceremony for a minute. So what were the, you had three, there were three things. So the, I would be aligned with the, you know, I don't want to, you know, it's kind of like in meditation, they're just thoughts happening all the time. And, and it's more like, can you just let them go? Can you just let them go? Uh, but the kind of views that are worthy of examination are the views in which I'm disempowered, where there's a loss of power I have, or a loss of inspiration, or a loss of, 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 yeah, power, inspiration. Uh, because the loss of power or inspiration probably is going to be a function of the view that I'm operating from. Probably. And if I get to the source of that view, and that view either disassembles or disappears... I'm naturally left with power, you know, that we're naturally powerful and we're naturally inspired, naturally. We don't have to, you know, you may have to practice the, the movement of, of uh, Qigong or, or Jiu-Jitsu, but you're, you're, you've got natural power with it. Yes, and it, and then you know, and it gets and it gets aligned and flowed, and the, you know the, you get more distinctions about it. But you're you're naturally powerful and inspired about it. And then we have you could say then we have barriers to the to that natural phenomenon of us being already powerful, already inspired, already loving, already creative, and we got barriers to it. In my work, it's the barriers are ontological. And as I distinguish those barriers, those barriers disappear that then leaves me naturally in power and inspiration. Um, one other thing I just thought about or saw was, was another way, Jason, we could look at this is 
uh, if we're if we're and we're going to come back around this to alignment and integration, you might say that suffering or a lack of power could be a function of not being aligned not being aligned with with oneself and i'm not talking about the identity self i'm talking about the the big self not being aligned with what's true um and so that's why in the work we do in the daytime, you know, there's two questions. If you look at alignment and integration as related, <clears throat> aligned with what or integrated with what? So the first question I'd have to answer is what am I going to, what am I going to, what am I going to integrate it with? Or what am I going to align with? That's the first, the first question we would ask. Um, so let me let me take you from yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm yeah. actually a little confused. So where is the jump from? I, I've <clears throat> I've noticed that I have this view, and and obviously that view is causing yeah. some sort of suffering. So what is the jump yeah. from that to then? this idea of integration or alignment. What is the connection between okay, those two? Okay, perfect. Perfect, okay. That's really good. Uh, uh, I think you've participated in, in this little exercise we did. We did it at one of the ceremonies or a few of the ceremonies. But if you could imagine putting every single view you've ever had. And, and most of our views, Jason, are inherited. You know, like you and I are born male. We inherit a view of what a man is supposed to be and what's a man supposed to be in the world and what's a man supposed to be with a woman and what's a man supposed to be with another man. And, you know, we didn't create those views. We, we inherited them. Yes. And I'm born Irish and you were born X and somebody's born, you know, and we were born into cultures and we're, and those cultures have views and we're born into families and those families have views and we're born into religions and those religions have views and we're born into economic strata and those you know so we're born into you know coming into planet earth we inherit just this massive amount of views none of them none of them invented and then you know we picked we we kind of you know i'm going to take this one and throw away this one and you know put together a, a world view and and then try to navigate life from that, you know, pretty it's pretty dicey. So if you imagine every single possible view you've ever had about yourself, that you've ever had about another, or that you've ever had about life, including all the way to the outer ends of the cosmos. 
and you put all those views together, you know, the one that I can't even imagine how much views there are, but I put them all in a balloon and just let that balloon go. All of the views, every one of them, and you let that balloon go, what are you left with? What are you left with? Well, I, I would imagine there would be some sense of, of, of peace, of openness, yes. of, of freshness. Exactly, yes. There would, be, there would be just this pristine space in which there is no suffering. It's just space. It's like you said, it's pristine. It's just this space. Now, what if we could start life like that? And not only start life like that, but you had distinctions and tools that allowed you to create something powerful from that. Well, given we can't start life from that, we could we could create some some we could create an environment in we in which we could start from there in the middle of our life. So in that space that you just said, where there's peace, another way of saying peace also, there's no suffering. Because there is no suffering with no view. Now, it's also boring. <laughs> so, yes, it's peaceful. But after, let's just say, eons of peaceful, you go, okay, let's make something happen, right? <laughs> but, but... Peaceful in our in our current environment is a is a valuable commodity. That kind of peace and 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 serenity. So, in that space, and Jason, when you were when you were saying there's peace and there's and there's pristine, fresh. This is the hard thing to get. There's not even a you there because the you is a view. Now, there's not a you there, but there is a phenomenon that's seeing that space. Do you get that? It's yeah. just not you. It's just, sorry, it's not a you. It's you, but it's not an a you. So if I've got that space, What's the very first thing I would want to create in that space is what my life is going to be for. And you've participated in this with us and, and we, you could name it different things. You could name it your purpose. You could name it your Dharma. You could name it your raison d'etre. We picked the name calling because it's, we, we, we sensed that it was an internal kind of, this is what's calling me. This is what's inspiring me. This is, what's, this is what I want to create and live true to. That would be the first thing I would create for my life is what my life is for. What do I want to fulfill in my life? What do I want to align my life with? Which we then name your calling. And that for us is the very beginning of A, aligning my life 
And also in what you had said earlier, as I, as I examine and disappear these views, to start to see these views that I want to disappear would be inconsistent with what I'm saying my life is for. If that view is consistent with what my life for, I don't want to disappear it. I would only want to disappear the views that are inconsistent. And I know you well enough that you, that you have really done this work of you really do examine and you really do it rigorously and with integrity of let me examine these views. And especially let me examine these views that are that are that I see is inconsistent with what either I or someone else has said. So that's for me the beginning of why when we did this work in the in the in the retreats, Jason, in the ceremonies, is as people clear their trauma away, they're left with a space. You know, as that trauma disappears, well, in that space where the trauma was, there's now nothing. There's a space. Okay, what am I going to pull? What am I going to put put in that? Because either I'm going to put something there, or the world is. And that, for me, is why why people people connecting to and creating their calling is critical because that was the third intention of the, of the Shipibo healers is alignment. Now they'll say aligning energy, but we'll, we would say alignment to your calling or alignment to what your originating intent of your life is, what you're here on planet Earth to fulfill. That's what alignment is for. And, and, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day who was making a movie about integration. And I asked her this question and I said, well, why integrate? And it was, and it was kind of shocked her. Like, I just assumed integration was, was a good thing. <laughs> making a movie about it right <laughs> but but didn't have a fully articulated answer to why integrate why integrate we're all going to die why integrate and it's a, still a really powerful question for us who and you more than me but you know who've been in, involved and engaged in 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 this work of integration but i would really have to answer that question powerfully why integrate and I would say just me personally I would say why integrate is because it gives me more possibility and power in fulfilling my life's mission my calling yeah if it didn't I mean why integrate so I feel better okay all things being equal great but you know, you and I and a lot of people we know are, are way more interested in, I want humanity to feel better. You know, if I'm the only one in humanity that feels great, so what? 
I want a, I want a world in which people are, you know, thriving and powerful and inspiring. Yeah, beautiful. So this idea of having a calling, um, would you say that's, that's kind of the primary focus of, of this integration work? I would, I, and this again for me, and, and, and I don't want to be presumptuous because, uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great work in, in healing and integration and, and elevation and illumination. And, and, and so th again, I just, this is just for me, this is, it's for me absolutely critical that people have a declared articulation of what their life is about. It's really important for me that it's declared both this way and this way, inward and outward. Because what, you're, what we're actually doing is we're creating an environment in which, in which, I'm going to use the word accountability, but it's, but, but a lot of times people have the, have a negative aspect of, you know, I don't want to be held accountable and, you know, but, but I would want an environment that's going to, that's going to reflect to me and, and not independent, but hold me accountable to who I say I am in the world not not eliminating my own accountability, but you know, I don't I don't think any human being has sufficient integrity by themselves to navigate uh, uh, impeccably. V at least very few. That that if I have a commitment to being impeccable in my life and to living impeccably and living in alignment. And you, Jason, you can, you've seen this, you know, in, in disciplines that you've engaged in deeper than me, you have to have people that are going to hold you accountable. You just have to, you know, I'm just in terms of your jujitsu, for example. You didn't learn it by yourself. I suppose you could, somebody did at the beginning, I don't know. But it's always in concert with another, and it's always in concert with another for whom they have a commitment to you being and, 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 and having impeccability and excellence in what you're doing. And that's, that's a community. That's an environment. Um, so, yes, it's for me, if we're taking seriously what we're here on planet earth for it's not it's not a pr campaign but it really is i'm serious about and i'm not saying like that kind of but you know i have a i'm, I'm serious about living true to this and i'm serious about that this is what my life is for and i'm and i'm and i'm living true to it and taking consistent action to it it's got to be in a in a community you know, and that's, that's the temple. That's the temple, you know. How do you have that kind of result happen 
without that community, you don't do it. I mean, it may happen accidentally somewhere, but not that kind of, you know, reliable, consistent, powerful, you can count on this kind of result without a community. So that for me is why, for why it's really important for me to have, to do the kind of work first of what is my life about, because that's going to be the that's going to be the north star of both the of both the sail and the rudder of how to navigate through life that's getting crazier and crazier and crazier it's not getting saner and saner it's getting crazier and crazier so it's going to even require more of of you know a taproot of a really centered kind of this is what my life is about, and this is what I'm going to live true to in the face of all of this. And again, having a community that, that, that does that. And, and Jason, a little bit for me is that you're, you're doing these podcasts. Is that, is, is the creation of a, of a dialogue of different, different modalities, but in the same intention, you know, if you looked, I bet if you looked at all of the people that you, on your podcasts, there's this there's this fundamental intention that everybody's living through to that's got some alignment with. I suspect, at least from the ones I've seen. So, yeah. in answer to your question, yes, I think it's absolutely critical and important to do that kind of work where I, where I, it's real for me, it's connected for me, it's true for me, and that I can with confidence say, this is what I'm living true to and living in alignment with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like uh, when, when you were in, in some of the, the, the workshops you were doing with this, you, uh, I think you also have kind of this love of etymology, which I, yeah. I found just to be fascinating. And, yes. you know, like you said, when you ask this question, what is integration? Like, I think that's super important. Like we have yes. to ask, like, what is integration? And I, I think that's where it's fascinating, even looking at the etymology of these words. And it is, you know, I, I remember you saying things like, you know, the, the root of that is this word uh, integration, integral, integrity. Yes. Yeah. And it's all coming from this place of, of wholeness or, you yeah. know, also, as you put it, alignment and, yeah. and, and integrity. In order to have integration, we have to be in integrity. Integration can't work without integrity. Cannot. Doesn't, it, in fact, you could even say it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. Doesn't exist. So I, I love what you're saying, that, that integration has to do with integrity integrity has to do with something being whole and complete okay so what how are the how are the healers working from that they're disappearing trauma when you disappear trauma what was there before the trauma is left whole and complete we're doing it from the ontological side disappearing that you could say in a simple way disappearing the views that are an aspect of being at the source of the trauma there's both the what happened and the uh, and the language aspect of it 
but the language aspect that starts to dissipate the, the stuckness of the, of the view. So then I want to add two more things, Jason, that, that integrity is the state of being whole. It has to do with the natural state of something. So for a human being, why is integrity important? Because integrity allows for one thing, which is workability. Without integrity, life won't work. Without integrity, it's not just life won't work, it's, it's objects won't work. You know, if, if the wires that connect the internet or the, you know, whatever we're doing right now, there's an integrity that has this thing work. But when the integrity gets violated, it doesn't work. So there's first integrity is the state of something being whole and complete. Why is that important? Because it allows for workability. What does workability allow for is performance, is performance. So if you look at, let's say a bicycle wheel being whole and complete, that, and let's say a racing bicycle wheel, that wholeness and completeness, all the, all the spokes are finely tuned and it perfectly got the air pressure in it perfect. That wheel is now at its optimum level of workability. However, why is that important? Because it provides for performance. Now, if that bicycle wheel didn't work, I don't care if you've got the best rider in the world, the, the, you know, the yellow jersey, their performance is going to be diminished because of the workability of the tire, of the wheel. You got that? So integrity allows for workability. Workability allows for the possibility of performance. So that's the other thing we're looking at is why integrity to perform optimally. And, you know, you could tell me, you could talk to me about for days on the integrity of your martial arts. And without the integrity of it, the workability of it, like doing the whatever it is you do and doing those, doing those movements the way they're meant to be done then allows for optimum performance but you still have to perform. So it's, it's first you get to workability, but then you gotta perform. But if I don't have workability, doesn't matter how good you are, you're gonna be, you're gonna get your ass kicked, <laughs> right? Yeah, so those are the three things. So, so if, I have, if I have integrity with my calling, that is I'm living true to it, I have, I have coherence with it. I've got, uh, I'm integrated with it. That allows for workability and the workability allows for performance. So we wanna keep those three that what we're really looking at is performance, high level performance. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah this in is great. Whatever, in whatever discipline, you know, and we're, you know, you've got a lot of discipline, but the discipline we, that we're familiar with, both you and I, is we want high performance in those ceremonies. Yes, well, you first have to have things work. You've got to have the maloka work. You've got to have the people there. You've got to have the, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have that thing work or else you will not have maximum performance. And to have things work, you got to have integrity. So it's integrity, workability, performance. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're, you're talking about this idea of, of a calling, something we yeah. can, we can align to. So in, in, yes. in, in essence, we, we can be in integrity because we have something to, 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 to hold that to. Exactly. So exactly. do, do we have time? Could you, could you have yeah. a, maybe a brief way or yes. however Absolutely. you want to do it of, of maybe defining what that calling is and then how one can go about trying to align themselves to that? Are you there? You yeah. just froze for a little yeah. bit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yes. Uh, so, and Jason, I might, you know, we might have a little bit of a dialogue here, uh, but because there's a couple ways. So again, kind of like, kind of like when, when we said, why integrate? You know, when that when I asked that woman why integration, was like, wow, it's a really good question. Why integrate? Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of people wouldn't say, I would say it, but why integrate to fulfill my mission? Why integrate to live true to my calling? That's how I would say it. Uh, but I don't know how people would answer why integrate. But however they were to answer it would be illuminating to what they're up to. So then the first question is, is why, and this is we're saying, why are we saying, or why, why is a calling important? Well, if I want to live an aligned life, if I want to, and, you know, that's a, that's a question people would, would have to say, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to live an aligned life? But let's, let's not go back that way. Let's say if I wanted to live an aligned life, if I wanted to live an integrated life, that is to say I want my life to fulfill something, which is different than I want to accomplish something. So people can, people can accomplish all kinds of things, but not necessarily have those accomplishments fulfill something. Do you follow that? So, so then we would start at the end of my life. And I got this, I got this pretty powerfully for myself. Not pretty powerfully. I got it powerfully for myself. Uh, in the last three or four years of my father's life, uh, he was living in the south of France, and and you know every time I saw him, he he would be less and less. He, his health would be more and more diminished. So I was never sure whether that was going to be the last time I saw him, 
and we, you know, he was always a pretty open guy. So we started to have dialogues, which luckily I taped about his death. And he was, he was fearing death. Now, this is a guy for whom as long as I've known him, he was fairly illuminated about I'm not my mind, I'm not my body, I'm not my thoughts. I'm 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 a, I'm I'm a spiritual and I thought it be I thought it was very interesting that he spent his life talking about that, but at the end of his life he was fearing death. How come? If you're not any of these things, how come? Well, as we started to have the conversation, there were two things. Uh, one, a funny kind of thing. He said, I read this article in Scientific Magazine, Scientific American, and it said, you know, when you're dead, that's it. <laughs> no. He said, and then I believed it. Now, this is after he's read, you know, a thousand books on, on, on the exact opposite, and he believed this. So that one kind of disappeared pretty quickly, you know. But then it started to get more real for him was that he, that he didn't fulfill what he knew his life was for. And, you know, when you're 60, you still got a runway. When you're 70, yeah, even Picasso was painting at 70. When you're 80, you know, Matisse had to tie the broom handle to the, to the paintbrush, right? When you're 90, all there is is resolve, resolution. You're not going to do anything. You just gotta, you've just got to resolve, contextualize it. But I found that really amazing that after all of the work he'd done, he was not fulfilled and one way of saying it, I could say, Jason, is that he, is that he, he wasn't an embodiment of the things he was studying. That they didn't, they didn't connect that way in a deep way until he was at the end of his life. So that was a really profound thing for me to see and, and then say, well, if you could bring that runway back to when you're 40 or you're 50 or you're 60 and you really examine at the end of my life, what do I want to authentically say my life fulfilled? Now, do you have to say that? No, you don't. But if I want to live something that's not what I've inherited, if I want to live something that's a, that I'm creating and then I'm creating it for, for the community in which I'm living, the big community, the humanity, it's got to be created. And it's got to be something that's so real for me that, I, that, I, that I'm compelled to live true to it, even in the face of chaos and breakdowns and temptations and failures and I don't care anymore and who gives a crap and you know I'm just gonna I'm just gonna survive 
So then how, how would you go to work on, 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 on distinguishing that? Well, one of the things, there's a, couple, there's a couple of ways that I've looked at it is one way is to kind of imagine before you come to planet Earth, you know, you're out in the cosmos and you're headed towards planet Earth. You're this spirit headed towards planet Earth. And you simply ask the question, why am I coming here? Of all of the possible places in the universe, why am I coming to planet Earth? Why am I coming to planet Earth? What do I want to accomplish? Now, I know people that's completely authentic. I want to have fun. And, you know, planet Earth is a great place to have fun. And there are people, you know, that are, that that's what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying don't have fun, but, and I'm not saying this significantly either. It's just not what we're here for. Now, it's not, we're not having fun. It's not what we're here for. You follow that? It's, it's, yes, I want to have fun doing what I'm doing, but there's something else I'm here for. So that's one thing is, is, and by the way, God bless those people who are having fun. I, I mean, it was like, it's like, I wish I could, you know, sometimes I wish I could be that kind of person, but it's just a different mission. So there's one thing of, okay, really authentically saying, why am I coming to planet Earth? What am I here for? Some people know that. Some people actually know how come. The second would be if I, you know, like that exercise we did earlier of where you just disappeared every inherited view of yourself other than life. You just disappeared them. And you're left, like you said, with that fresh, pristine, open space. What would I want to create? And a lot of times if you're, if you're in that space, it's not what, what, I wanna, what do I want to create. It, it's just kind of natural of, of what kind of world do I want to create without any prompting. You know, if, if you're in that space, it's not just, Jason, you're saying, what, the, the, what do I want to create? It a lot of times occurs like what kind of world do I want to create that I'm going to live in? And then the third and for us the most powerful and real is if I want to live an aligned life, I want to live a life from something that is profoundly moving and touching to me. Now, where do I locate that? I locate that in my real life. I go back into my life and look at those moments in my life where I was profoundly touched by something, where I was lit up by something, where I had this experience of being, you know, just completely fulfilled. And then in those moments, it's, it's, it's as best we can, because language doesn't, cannot capture fully the experience, but as best we can, articulating what is that experience that is that is deep and profound and inspiring to me that I can say I'm going to live my life true 
And then there's work, Jason, of, of, you know, I have this experience of, I don't know, let's say you, you were working on this, on this, I don't know what they're called in jujitsu, but you're working on this really difficult movement. And then you, then you triumph and you, and you got it, you know, and, and once you get it, you know, you're never going to lose it again. And there's this, there's this experience of just joy and triumph. Now I could live my life true to the, I want to, I want to create in my life and for others, the experience of joy and triumph. And it doesn't matter what I do. I can be a bricklayer and do that. But that's the beginning of is, is that experience something that's real and true for you that is worthy of living my life true to? And, you know, you and I know what your calling is. And, and that calling, Jason, I know has, you know, it's got layers and dimensions and facets and, and but, you know, it's real for you. It's true for you. So those are the kind of three, and there may be more, but, you know, first is why am I coming to planet Earth? Second, if, I, if, I, if I'm free of every view of like what life is about and what I should do in life and what, what life is about, and I, all of those views are just disappeared and I'm just in life with this space, what do I want to create? And the third thing for us that's more real is in your real life, what are those kinds of moments in your life that you were just completely fulfilled, lit up, power empowered by? And, and in those moments, what is the experience that you want to create for yourself and others and live true to? So those are the kind of three avenues that, that we kind of work from. And one of the things people see, like, like, uh, my calling is people are illuminated. And it happened in a really simple thing where I was in fourth grade and my teacher said, go to the board. And, and I don't know if she used this word, but how I heard it was distinguish this math problem. And I went to the board and had this experience of I was distinguishing something in real time, not explaining something, but I was distinguishing something. And the distinction had the people in the room light up. And the teacher said, I don't know what, what the word, but it was kind of like, that was the best distinction of that problem I've heard, something like that. And in that moment, there were two things, is I had this capacity for distinguishing something, not explaining something or describing something, but, but bringing something into existence distinguishing something and it was illuminating it was like illuminating and and for me a lot of where illumination comes from with me and others I mean towards me is in distinctions you know you could look at the the great masters distinguish they don't explain I mean, they might explain, but mostly they're making distinctions and they're making the kinds of distinctions that we can live true to that work. 
So anyway, that was a really, you know, it, was, it happened in the fourth grade in this, in, you know, in doing a math problem. And I was like, wow, I can distinguish something. And, it, and what I can distinguish is illuminating. And can I live true to that? Now, then I have a whole question of what do you want to, what do you want to distinguish and what do you want to illuminate? And, and you know, it's a whole other question, but, but it's illuminate and elevate the, 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 our own consciousness and awakening. So, you know, and when people get, you know, everybody has those moments in their life. Everybody has those moments in their life where if they, if they got in touch with those moments and articulated those moments, it's worthy of a calling and it's worthy of living true. I think one of the ways you described that was, was a moment in, in one's life where if they died in that moment, in that particular exactly. moment, that they would, exactly. they would feel complete. Yes, they were so, they were so, now you can't bring logic to it because they would say, well, I want to live a little more. I want to have, <laughs> I want to have a coffee and a bagel tomorrow morning, right? <laughs> but in that moment, like in that moment, in that moment of there I was in front of the class and the class was like, wow, we didn't see it that way. In that moment, there was nothing missing in that moment. It was a whole complete, had integration, fulfillment, joy in that moment. And if I died in that moment, in that moment, I would have been fulfilled. Momentarily fulfilled. Yes, in that. And another way of saying that, that moment was full. Fulfilled. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if I can continue to bring, live, create moments like that, because that's all life is, and moment by moment by moment by moment, if I can, if I can continually bring moments like that, uh, then at the end, and I know I'm living true to that, at the end of my life, I can say, yes, I live true to that. But if I know I'm doing that now, it's a little bit, Jason, like I don't have to then worry that I'm going to be like where my dad was and be afraid. I might anyway, but, but, you know, if I'm living true now, I'm going to be living true then. Yeah. That's kind of, you know, I'm going to be living true then. And, and I, I remember one important distinction you made was also the, the calling isn't something for me. It has to go beyond. Yes. Could, could you exactly. maybe talk about that? So, you bet. So let's just say there I was in fourth grade and, and my, and the experience, Jason, was people were illuminated. I didn't have that word, but it was like, they saw something new. I saw something new. They saw something new. We saw something new in the same, in the same time. So that might've been the way, well, we, I saw something new. Now underneath it, I could see that there was something I was distinguishing, but that wasn't, that wasn't what in, was enlivening to me. It was, we saw something new. So here's the paradox of your calling. The paradox of your calling is, you are the source of your calling. That is to say, you're the inventor of your calling. And the, why, why for me the calling is important. It's, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but 
It's the one thing you didn't inherit. You didn't get born into your calling. You know, in, in, you know, even in the Hindu tradition, you know, you're born into, you're going to be a, you know, one person is going to be a doctor, one person is going to be a, 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 you know, going to go to the ashram and, you know, and that's your calling. That's an inherited calling. But the kind we're talking about is, is you, didn't, you didn't inherit your calling, you invented it. It's, so it's the one thing you did not inherit. It's a real, true creation. So the, the paradox of it is you're the source of it. That is to say, it's your experience that's that where it comes from. And it's, and it's the way in which you articulate it. It's uniquely yours. But if I'm saying my calling is I'm illuminated, you can almost hear right away it's got some ego to it. And do I want to live in a world where I'm illuminated? No, I don't. <laughs> I want to live in a world where illumination is happening. So, you know, let's say that thing about triumph and joy. So let's say I, you know, you know, Jason, I used to be a drummer and, and, and I still practice it a little bit. But, you know, there's some signatures where... You know, you work on them for days and all of a sudden, boom, it happens, right? That the that you get the you get the you get the signature. So in that moment of joy and triumph, all right, my calling is, is I'm joyous and triumphant. Okay. Now if you listen to the difference between my calling is I'm joyous and triumphant to my calling is people are joyous and triumphant. The moment you make that shift, there's a, there's, you're now not located here, but you're located out here. That you're not, you're not working on yourself, you're working on yourself for the impact yourself makes in the, in the environment. So the calling, the paradox of the calling is you're the source of it, however, your calling is not for you, it's for others. You're included. So you're not excluded from your calling, but your calling really is what's the experience I want others to experience that leaves me. So, you know, if I didn't have that room in the fourth grade of, of all the kids in that room going, wow, wouldn't have had probably no impact if the teacher didn't say something if there wasn't somebody else seeing it and experiencing it you know you know when i finished my first marathon it was a real accomplishment but if there was nobody participating in it or seeing it or knowing about it then there's a then there's something missing in the accomplishment. Do you follow that? So there's something about the very nature of your calling is your calling is for others. And at the same time, you're the source of it. So that's why when we articulate the calling, 
we always have people when they talk about it, we always have people say my calling is and the first word after that is people and it'll be some kind of my calling is people experience or people live or people there'll be some verb to it like or even my calling is people are illuminated or my calling like yours my calling people experience the peace of god you know, there's a, there's, there, it's directed to another and it's directed to another's experience. And then can I live true to that? Can I live true to in my thinking, speaking and acting? And this is the, you know, this is the hard part because we're almost never living true. The nature of our mind is to not live true. It's to take us away from something, I think. So, you know, it's always then, you know, like if you're on a sailboat, you're never on course. You're always, you know, you're, or even when we're walking, we're, we're always balancing. So there's always, you know, the ongoing balance and awareness of is this interaction consistent? Is this thought consistent? You know, I think it's why when the healers do at the end of the ceremonies, or sorry, at the end of the of the treats with the post dieta, they're always saying, you know, you gotta you gotta especially when you're doing dietas after, but you, they're always saying you gotta be really careful of what you think, even your thoughts. Not if you, not even if you don't act them out. You got to be really aware, you know, that thought has impact. And the more powerful you get, the more powerful a thought has. You can bring down a whole, you know, country with a thought. <laughs> As we're experiencing, yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. And one thing. So that you, got, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned, uh, you know, I've been doing a little bit of the work you've been teaching. And one thing I noticed that you really emphasized was this idea that the calling has to be real. So it has yes. to come from a place in your life where you've had a direct experience or a direct exactly. gnosis of that. Exactly. Exactly. Because if not, it becomes very, at least for me, but, but I, I would imagine for most people, it becomes very apparent if someone just says, you know, something really generic, like I want people to experience love or I want people yes. to experience light. Yes. yes. But it's not coming from a place of, of that yes. diagnosis, that direct yes. experience that they've had. Yes. And that's and that, Jason, is the two things that are connected to that is 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 when I think about my calling or my or 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 even say my calling one of the intentions is to connect to that experience. Now, I've had, you know, since the fourth grade, I've had just, you know, numerous moments of illumination. You know, and at the temple, that first night at the temple was, was a major, major kind of, whoa, this is what these healers are doing. So, yes, it has to be it has to be real or the environment in which we live in, the real environment in which we live in, the real things we have to deal with every single day 
are going to are going to displace your calling. Mm -hmm. When, because one other thing that came to mind, which I think you yeah. mentioned too, uh, I mean, kind of jokingly, but, but also truthfully, was this idea of, yeah. of be careful what your intention is, because yeah. it, it also reminded <laughs> me, you know, my, my, my main teacher in this work, um, you know, one time he was, he was kind of saying a similar thing, which is a lot of people have this idea about a, you know, a healer, a curandero, and it's like, you know, this work yeah. isn't, you know, it's a very deep voice. And he's like, this work isn't he, 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 ho, ho, ho. You know, it's very yes. difficult. And yes. with that calling, yeah. if it really is true, then the, the, the result of that is we have to be in integrity with that. hundred percent. And I've seen Jason in my own life and, you know, cause I've worked with thousands of people in, in this, in this dynamic, uh, even though it's real when it gets created, it doesn't start to be seen until much later, like what it really is. And continues to be revealed like that. Because for me, in the same way that the healers are working energetically, when you're when you're creating your calling and it's real for you and authentic for you and has integrity with it it's energetic it is energetic it's energetic here but it's also energetic out into the universe and if it's real and you're really living true to it like we know that energy aligns and attracts and 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 you start to see wow later on wow this is this is what that calling really meant i didn't see it at that i i only saw this part of it but i didn't see this part of it i didn't see this part of it uh you know i think you can see the same thing a little bit with matthew in the temple yeah, it might have began with we want to we want to make an impact with the 22 people that are there, but then it's those people and, and this and you know the temple being here and those people and the big and the you know the much bigger kind of impact on society. Uh, so that's that's a I've seen that Jason that that a lot of times people in hindsight will say, oh that's what that meant. I didn't see it when it got created. But the creation of it was was real, authentic, and and had integrity. Mm -hmm. And then also and with the calling, to evolve. Mm -hmm. yeah. That that I was just going to ask just that that evolution. So I mean, it has to start from a place that's real, that's experiential. But then, as yes. we evolve, then I would imagine yep. the calling can evolve as well. With it that does. again, coming from a new experience, that's perhaps it more. It absolutely does. And, and Jason, what I found is it doesn't move too far off of the originating. Mm -hmm. It doesn't move. It doesn't go from here to here. It might go from here to here, like a like a like a subtle kind of, you know, degree or two, but or even a more depth of something. But but absolutely evolves. But I don't find you know, this used to, this is my calling here. And now this is my calling now, mostly because what we get touched by 
and what we get moved by is relatively universal. And I don't mean what we get motivated by or what we get gleeful about or what we get uh, uh, fanatical about. I don't mean that. What we get touched by and moved by is pretty universal. So, you know, the calling is the, the very nature of the calling is is what touches your heart. What inspires you? Another, you know, like the epistemology, the etymology, no etymology of inspiration is is inspire, inspire, bringing breath into. I'm gonna. What what brings breath into my life? What brings aliveness? Inspire is aliveness. Expire is death. So inspiration is what is what brings aliveness to me. What brings elevates me. So it's fairly universal. You know, if you got you know seven billion people to say what their calling is, there's a there's a thread through all of it. If yeah. you get seven billion people to tell you what their belief is, there's not a thread through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you were mentioning. So, so when we have this calling and use this, this, this metaphor of a sale is, you know, which I think is so important. It's this process of constantly bringing it into alignment, this idea that we're almost never truly in, in center. And, and I mean, I think, again, that's a motif that yes. you find in all of these traditions yes. like yoga, you know, to yoke, it means to constantly bring to center. Yes. And yep. I mean, even that's yep. the idea behind sin is we yep. have this really weird view of sin, but that's literally what it means. This idea that we're almost never in center and to sin yes. is to constantly try and hit the bullseye with the knowing that we almost never hit it, but we're trying to, yes. to you yes. know, to adjust. So, yeah. so with that idea of alignment, is that, is that kind of the principle of if I have this calling, then I, then I can see and yes. know when I'm not in the calling to try and bring it back to that center. Yes, or I would say more how it, I think how it operates, Jason, is when I see my behavior inconsistent. Because mm -hmm. because if my calling's real for me, you know, sometimes I get on a phone with 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 companies that that nowadays I apologize is called customer service. <laughs> Not, I'll fix it for you. It's, I apologize. So, you know, I, I feel like I've spent my life training people in, in how to be good, how to have customer service. But sometimes I get really pissed off. It just, I'm at the end of my rope. And, you know, and sometimes when I hang up the phone, it's like, that was just completely inconsistent. There was something you got triggered by for which that behavior with that person had nothing to do with illumination. Now, I could have the same conversation with that person. But, and I remembered having a conversation with, with American Express because they screwed up on my credit card. And I called, the department was called Customer Excellence. And they were just, they were just, and I asked the person, the supervisor, I said, tell me what customer excellence actually means. <laughs> you know what she said? Well, it means customer excellence. <laughs> well, 
And I said, well, does that mean I experience something or not? Does that, does that have anything to do with how I experience interacting? I mean, you know, that was a conversation I had with her that illuminated something. Where other conversations were, you know, you guys are, you know, just being shitty with them. And then hanging up the phone was like, that's completely inconsistent. And, and all right, am I gonna, am I gonna now have conversations with people that are, I'm gonna actually have a dialogue with people or just hammer them? You know, just be right about something. So it's more, it's more I will discover it after the fact than, than you know, and the real work is can I, can, I, can I capture it before it does too much damage? That's, that's the, that I think is the mastery. Can I, can, I, can I reduce that gap so that in between the behavior and the calling, there's not damage done? Yeah. Well, Richard, yeah. this has been wonderful. I know we're, we're getting close yeah. to our, our time. Is there anything else you wanted to address that we, we didn't get into? I, I don't. I don't, Jason. I really, what I do want to say, though, is I really admire what you've taken on, uh, you know, in the lockdown and, and like of all the things you could have done, you did this. <laughs> and it's really great. And the ones that I've seen and the professionalism and the, and the environment you create and the dialogue that are having, you know, this is, this is consistent with your calling. Uh, and, you know, so I just, it's, I just admire what you're doing and I love you. And I, I just think what you're doing is great and can't wait to, you know, when Peru opens up fully and, and we go back to the temple and, and uh, see you in person. But I really thank you and admire for what you've taken on in this, in this crazy time that you're, that you've got dialogues of sanity of, of things that are, that are really real for people and worthwhile for people. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for well, inviting me. Yeah, thank you. And and I mean, that's really the reason I, I created yeah. it was was to give voice to, you know, to, to yeah. people like you and, and the healers. And, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. this work has touched me a lot. And, and, and you have, too. You know, I, I know yeah. I know the position you're in. It, you know, it can sometimes be very confrontational because you're yeah. you're questioning people's views, their beliefs. And, yeah. you know, we hold on to yeah. that so tightly. And yeah. so I have a lot of respect for, for what you do, because I, I know it's not easy, but I, I think it's so important. Yeah. And for me, it is very yeah. in alignment with with what I'm looking to do with my life and, you know, this work with plants, yeah. I, I think it just fits so perfectly. So I, I have yeah. a lot of respect yeah. for you, Richard, a lot of love for you. And I, uh, I also, I can't wait till we right. meet again. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. All right, everybody, that is it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Richard. As I said, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, his teaching, it maybe it makes a profound impact on the on the first kind of go round. Uh, and if it doesn't, maybe give it some time and then try listening to it again sometime. Uh, it's it's actually a really profound teaching, and uh, personally, I've seen the ways it can really help people in their lives in general, but especially with this work of really helping to to integrate that experience. 
Um, so yeah, as always, if you're able to help to support the show, Patreon is a really good option. Um, with that, you can subscribe. There's different tiers you can subscribe to, giving you things like early access to shows, bonus material, some extended footage, uh, Q and A's, things like that. So that's a really big help to me and a really big help uh, that which allows me to to bring on these guests who I personally find really fascinating, and, and I hope you do too. Um, there's also the option of uh, direct donating via PayPal, and if you're not able to do that, going on the YouTube channel, subscribing to the show, turning on the notification bell, and liking the video. That's a really big help. And with the audio version going on Apple Podcasts, also subscribing and leaving a short starred rating and a review is a really big help. Um, the next few shows, um, I'll be speaking with a, a lady. Her name is Monica Gagliano. She wrote a really beautiful book called The Spoke the plants or thus spoke the plant, uh, which is a really beautiful book talking about plant intelligence and a lot of the new science that she and others have been doing that really show the intelligence of plants and the ability that they have to help to teach us and what we can learn from them. So that should be a really exciting interview. And I'll also be speaking with my friend Irene, who I worked with um, at the Temple of the Way of Light. She was a facilitator. She works for the European organization ICERS, um, which is an organization that really helps to support a lot of this plant work. Um, and then she has a background in Jungian psychology. So that should be a really interesting conversation as well. And then also my friend Will Spencer, who I was on his podcast a, a month or two ago. I'll be bringing him on my show to talk a little bit about his story which he has a really interesting story and uh, get into that a little bit. So that's it. Thank you guys for your support, for your help to all the Patreon people. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for the support. Uh, to everyone who's donated via PayPal, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And to all the people who subscribe to the show and continue to support that way, thank you very much. So that's it. And I will see you in the next episode. Tunga is a